During the Cold War, and still to this day, the greatest threat to global security is not on land or in the air. Rather, it is in the largest battlefield on Earth, the ocean. Lurking underneath the waves are strategic missile submarines, each carrying enough nuclear firepower to end civilization as we know it. Silent and hidden from most forms of detection, these behemoths patrol under the waves awaiting the order to launch Armageddon and are referred to as boomers. Given their immense threat, one of the most important tasks for our armed forces is to know where these submarines are located at all times. In fact, an entire type of warfighting has been developed to track these deadly ships, known as Anti-Submarine Warfare, or ASW. This is a branch of underwater warfare that uses surface warships, aircraft, and even other submarines to find, track, deter, damage, and even destroy enemy submarines. ASW is therefore a networked, multi-layered process consisting of many different components. However, there is arguably one aircraft that embodies the ASW and patrol mission better than any other asset. The Lockheed P-3 Orion. A purpose-built maritime patrol aircraft capable of ASW, reconnaissance, and of course, maritime patrol. The Orion carries numerous sensors to detect submarines, including passive and active sonoboys, which are launched from the lower fuselage along with the magnetic anomaly detector boom in the rear fuselage. Offensively, the Orion can engage targets by using torpedoes, depth charges, AGM-65 Mavericks, Harpoon anti-ship missiles, and even low-yield tactical nuclear weapons. The P-3 has been in continuous service for 60 years, with over 750 examples built. Today, we will take a look at the development, operational history, and legacy of this stalwart airframe, the crews who flew them, and the various development teams who worked to keep the Orion upgraded with the latest tech. At the beginning of the Cold War, the U.S. Navy's ASW aircraft, which included P-2V Neptunes and carrier-based Grumman S-2F trackers, had good sensors for Russian submarine detection. But all the data generated from various sensors on board the aircraft had to be manually recorded and analyzed by the crew which as one can imagine was time intensive. By 1957, with the proliferation of nuclear-armed ballistic missile submarines, the US Navy put out a request for proposals for a new ASW aircraft. This new land-based type would replace both the Lockheed P-2 Neptune and the Martin P-5 Marlin. The Marlin was a more conventional design powered by two Wright R-3350 engines. Each engine consisted of a twin-row supercharged air-cooled radial design with 18 cylinders. The P-2V Neptune, however, was more unconventional. Featuring another variant of the aforementioned Wright R-3350s, the Neptune also made use of a pair of Westinghouse J-34WE-34 turbojet engines. Not many aircraft had both piston propellers and jet engines, two burning and two turning, as they used to say. This placed the Neptune in a distinct class of aircraft. The Neptune was introduced into service in 1947 and served with various militaries into the mid-1980s. However, the Neptune's interior space was too cramped for long missions and left little room for advanced sensor equipment, hence the 1957 proposal by the Navy. Initially designated Project A-New for a new program, the symbol chosen to represent the project was the sum of integrations, which will make sense in a minute. 
Lockheed developed what would ultimately become the Orion, which had three times the interior floor space as compared to the P-2V Neptune. This was due in part to the Neptune's wing spar which ran through the fuselage. The Orion was derived from the 1950s era four-engine turboprop L-188 Electra airliner, itself the first large turboprop airliner built in the United States. The base airframe was converted to be used as a maritime patrol aircraft, and the resulting type was given the P-3 designation. The most obvious feature between the Electra and the Orion is the distinctive stinger or tail boom, which is used for submarine detection. More on that later. Other differences from the Electra include a shortening of the fuselage forward of the wings by about 7 feet, a more pointed nose radome, wing hardpoints for mounting ordnance, a bomb bay, and various other structural improvements. The additional interior space introduced in the P-3 permitted for advanced onboard computers and sensor equipment to be integrated into the aircraft. This helped make the Orion the first aircraft ever to use computers to integrate multiple data inputs from sonar, sonoboys, and various other instruments, hence the Sum of Integrations logo. Powered by four Allison T-56 turboprops, the Orion is capable of top speeds of 411 knots, allowing it to keep up with or sometimes fly faster in some configurations than other slower jet-powered aircraft such as the S-3 Viking or the A-10 Thunderbolt. Incredibly, each Allison T-56 generates 4,910 shaft horsepower, which is more than the combined horsepower delivered by the four Wright Cyclone engines found on World War II B-17 bombers. Early versions of the B-17 generated about 4,800 horsepower combined. Initially designated P-3V-1, the first squadrons to receive the new aircraft were VP-8 and VP-44 at NAS Patuxent River in 1962. In the same year, the U.S. military converted to a unified designation system for all services and the aircraft was renamed the P-3 Orion. Undoubtedly, one of the Orion's greatest assets is its extensive onboard sensor suite. Given its large size and lengthy loiter times, the Orion can stay on station collecting sensor data long enough to detect and track submarines. This is accomplished in several ways. A principal instrument used in tracking submarines by P-3 crews are sonoboys, which are fired from a lower aft fuselage dispenser section as commanded by the TACO commander. Each sonoboy is about 5 inches in diameter and about 3 feet long that are ejected in canisters which float down via a parachute. Upon impacting the water, the sonoboy deploys, leaving an inflatable surface float with a radio transmitter for communication with the aircraft, while one or more hydrophone sensors, along with stabilizing equipment, descend below the surface to a selected depth that is variable, depending on environmental conditions and the search pattern. In this way, a pattern of sonoboys can be deployed over an area that is suspected of containing a submarine or over a previously tracked submarine's last known location. The crew on board the Orion receives the acoustic data from the sonoboys and analyzes the pattern with known submarine types and their respective acoustic signatures. There are both passive sonoboys which listen for submarine sounds and active sonoboys which emit sonar pulses that listen for a return when the pulse bounces off of the submarine. Remember that distinctive tail boom we mentioned earlier? Located in the aft fuselage, the Orion also makes use of a Magnetic Anomaly Detector or MAD. This instrument is used to detect minute variations in the Earth's magnetic field, the kind that a submarine operating near the surface would exhibit. Due to the sensitivity of the detector, 
Electromagnetic noise can interfere with it. So, the detectors place in the P3's fiberglass tail stinger or mad boom. This positions it far away from other electronics and ferrous metals on the aircraft. Operationally, the MAD system was used to get a tactical fix on the submarine once it was localized by Sonoboys. The P-3s would then fly at an altitude of about 200 feet during the day or 300 feet at night, and typically a cloverleaf pattern was flown to hone in on the submarine's signal. This involved performing 45-degree banks at low altitude while pulling some Gs. Once a contact was located, the call would be Madman Madman. At this point, the Orion could engage a sub if necessary. Additionally, early P-3s used searchlights for nighttime ocean surface missions, which would later be replaced by triple LTV or low light level TV and eventually FLIR forward-looking infrared. While the P-3A and B models were groundbreaking, the P-3C is by far the most successful variant. In 1969, VP-56 received the first operational P-3Cs, followed closely by VP-49. And while VP-49 deployed first with their P-3Cs, it was VP-56 that showed the latest version of the Orion to the world. During its operational lifetime, the P-3C underwent three major updates. Updates 1 and 2 used the AQA7 processor, which would burn patterns of the acoustic signals received from Sonoboys onto thermal or fax paper. Onboard printers would churn out these acoustic plots as they were obtained, and the crew would write notes and compare pages. Aside from the delay in receiving information and updates, the combination of thermal paper being printed, sailor smoking, and 12-hour missions created an environment that was less than pleasing to the olfactory system. Fortunately, as technology advanced, there was relief on the horizon. PCC Update 3 was the most significant upgrade for the Orion program. This update brought tremendous improvements in acoustic processing, Sonoboy receiving, and brought the Orion into the digital age. Onboard thermal printers were replaced with digital systems that could display acoustic signatures in real time, providing Orion crews with a vastly improved analysis and data collection. The AQA7 was replaced with an IBM UYS1 and included multifunction displays which could be used to update an image, zoom in, smooth a signal for analysis, and even investigate a signal from different angles. Update 3 also allowed the Orion to equip the AGM-84 Harpoon missile, giving the P-3 even more strike and standoff options. Direct communication with the Sonoboys was also possible via a manual entry panel, what you and I would call a keyboard. Incredibly, this digital upgrade began all the way back in 1974, when few people knew what a microprocessor even was. The overall project was in development from 1975 to 1980, which was then followed up by a rigorous testing cycle. Central to all the Orion's updates, and especially Update 3, was the Naval Air Development Center, or NADC, located in Warminster, Pennsylvania. Along with an active runway and airbase, NADC featured fully operational crew stations in their labs. This allowed for extensive testing and refining of control layouts, workflows, and responses to simulated signals. Navy crews would also train here prior to performing their actual duties in a P-3 while in flight. Essentially, NADC was the development and integration laboratory for the P-3 Orion program. Therefore, it cannot be understated how crucial NADC was to the Orion's success and legacy.
By 1980, Update 3 was ready to move into its next test cycle, which involved operational evaluations. This rigorous testing program took place at NAS Patuxent River and was largely conducted by Fleet Navy air crews. After four years of intense testing and tracking real-world targets, Update 3 was approved for IOC or Introduction to Operational Capacity in 1984. A single patrol mission can last 10 to 12 hours. Sometimes this involves patrolling large sections of the ocean or a 20 by 50 mile area where sonoboys are deployed and the magnetic anomaly detector are used to find, identify, and track submarines. During these long patrol sorties, the number one engine would be shut down to save on gas. Located on the left side of the airplane, the number one engine is the primary candidate for loiter shutdown since it has no generator. Additionally, Engine 1 shutdown also improves visibility from the aft observer station on the left side of the aircraft. P-3s would launch and patrol routinely in weather that would ground other aircraft. These patrol sorties had to run as they were literally a matter of national security. Furthermore, the P-3s patrol efforts were absolutely critical to the National Intelligence Center in Washington, as the locations of all Soviet ballistic missile subs had to be known at all times. Indeed, if tracking was lost on a single submarine, some B-52 crews would immediately be placed on alert. Part of the standard integrated operations procedure itself a part of PSYOPs, the thinking was that if a ballistic sub went dark, it could be the prelude to World War III. However, it wasn't just submarines that Orions would track or investigate. Rigging a ship. Sometimes Orion crews would conduct low-level photo passes over ships. A typical procedure was to fly down the port side of a target ship at about 200 feet, then execute a 270-degree turn and fly past the stern of the ship. Another turn would produce a pass along the starboard side of the ship, followed by a final pass directly over the ship. During these passes, the crew would note the sequence of the smokestacks and gun emplacements to determine the type of ship. This practice became known as rigging a ship and hails from the days of the sailing ships. Rigging ships is essentially a form of intelligence gathering. Typically, while rigging a ship, emission controls or MCON was practiced, meaning that all radar and electronics were turned off to surprise the Soviets. Sometimes the Soviet ships would train guns or shoot flares at the P-3s during these passes. The Orion crew members had to be familiar with numerous ship silhouettes and characteristics. One example of a mnemonic device was Winnie Pack, Square Stacks, Guns in the Back, equals Krivak aka a Soviet frigate. And while P-3s have operated in every ocean in the world, there is one area which historically has embodied the importance of ASW. The bodies of water between Greenland, Iceland, and the United Kingdom. Commonly referred to as the GI-UK gap, this area of the world forms a natural naval choke point and represented the only available outlet into the Atlantic Ocean for Soviet submarines operating from their bases in the Kola Peninsula. Naturally, this area was extensively patrolled by naval and air assets of various allied nations, with P-3s contributing long patrols covering large areas. Typically, the Greenland-Iceland gap would be the route used by the Soviet boomers who were departing from the Kola Peninsula. Orion crews would locate and track these subs as they transitioned out into the North Atlantic. At the height of the Cold War, P-3 crews could expect to be on top of a ballistic missile submarine every day in the GI gap. These were actual ballistic missile submarines, the real deal. Not many roles in the military have you face-to-face -face and within weapons range of your enemy on a daily basis. 
For the Orion crews, each day in the Cold War could have turned hot at a moment's notice. And before we move into the remaining operational history of the P-3, we need to take a look at the crews themselves. A typical Orion complement would consist of 12 personnel, 5 officers, and 7 enlisted. These crews endured incredibly long missions and had to count on each other constantly not only for optimal performance, but for their very survival. Naturally, the crews formed bonds to the point of becoming a family. Indeed, many P-3 crew members remain in touch long after their Navy patrol days have ended. It is a testament to the dedication and integration that these crews participated in to keep us safe. Aside from continuously patrolling the oceans of the world, Orion aircraft and crews have participated in some way in nearly every combat theater since the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. During the Vietnam War, P-3s took part in missions such as Operation Market Time in an effort to stem the supply of materials to the Viet Cong by sea. In that conflict, a couple of P-3s were lost to AAA fire and other combat-related losses. During the first Gulf War, a P-3C, using an APS-137 Inverse Synthetic Aperture Radar or ISAR, performed coastal surveillance along the Iraq and Kuwait borders and provided pre-strike reconnaissance on enemy military installations. As a result, 55 of the 108 Iraqi vessels that were destroyed during the conflict were targeted by P-3C aircraft. Given the P-3's long loiter times, the Orion's mission was expanded in 2000 to include land and sea battle space surveillance. This proved to be an invaluable asset during operations Iraqi Freedom and Enduring Freedom. The Orion's ability to instantaneously provide information about the battle space it can see to ground troops is crucial, particularly to the U.S. Marines. Navy P-3s also operated out of Kandahar, conducting overland intelligence, reconnaissance, and surveillance tasks in support of coalition troops in Afghanistan. Orions also participated in maritime surveillance missions over Libyan waters to enforce the no-fly zone in 2011. During Operation Odyssey Dawn, a P-3 engaged the Libyan vessel Vittoria after it fired on merchant ships. In response, the Orion fired AGM-65 Mavericks at the Vittoria, resulting in the beaching of the vessel. Additionally, Orions in service with Spain, Portugal, and Japan have also participated in anti-piracy operations in and around Somalia. At its height, the U.S. Navy's P-3 community consisted of 24 active-duty fleet patrol squadrons that were based out of stations in Florida and Hawaii, as well as bases which formerly had P-3 operations in California, Maine, and Maryland. This 1994 aircraft allocation map shows the home bases of the active training and reserve squadrons. The training of P-3 crews was conducted by VP-30 in Florida for the Atlantic Fleet and the since deactivated VP-31 in California for the Pacific Fleet. By 1995, the Navy planned to reduce the number of active duty patrol squadrons from 16 down to 13, leaving 7 on the East Coast and 6 on the West Coast. This led to the disestablishment of patrol squadrons 17, 23, and 24. As a further force reduction, the remaining squadrons would each operate 8 aircraft instead of 9. Today, the Navy has transitioned active duty patrol squadrons to the P-8 Poseidon, which is based on the 737 airframe. This essentially has ended the Navy's active duty era for the P-3. Orion still serve in Navy Reserve and Air Test Evaluation Squadrons, and final phase-out of the aircraft is expected sometime in 2023. Aside from naval service, P-3s also operate in a wide variety of roles and missions. 
Some examples include usage by the U.S. Customs and Border Protection to perform aircraft intercept and maritime patrol duties. NOAA operates two Hurricane Hunter WP-3D variants that are used for research and weather reporting. There have even been P-3s used as firefighters. The EP-3 ARIA is an electronic signals reconnaissance variant of the Orion. There are also RP-3 variants used by the Naval Research Lab. Australia operates the AP-3C variant, which is used for search and survival supply, naval fleet support, along with traditional P-3 roles. The Orion is in service or has served with nearly 20 nations, including Argentina, Australia, Brazil, Canada, Germany, Japan, Norway, South Korea, Spain, and Taiwan. Although not as flashy as fighter jets, the P-3's role in patrol and surveillance, especially in tracking ballistic missile submarines, has played a critical role in keeping all of us safe. The brave men and women who have flown, crewed, maintained, and developed this long-serving and successful airframe all deserve recognition for the service they have provided to our nation and the free world. The P-3 replaced the venerable P-2V Neptune some 60 years ago and as mentioned is being replaced by the P-8 Poseidon. The Poseidon is an excellent airplane and foregoes the use of a mad boom at the end of the fuselage. Flying higher and with more advanced sensors, the Poseidon relies on sonoboys and other instruments to perform the same mission as the low-flying Orion. Still, there may be something lost by transitioning to higher altitudes. To quote a sailor who flew low-level P-3 missions, the times of routinely rigging ships at 300 feet ASL are gone for U.S. naval aviation. Kind of sad that the younger men and women coming into service on the P-8 will seldom, if ever, know the thrill of looking out a window and seeing the faces of the crew on the ships that they are prosecuting. The P-3 was a critical asset for Allied naval ASW efforts since its introduction in the early 60s and to this day. Without a doubt, the Orion is an incredible aircraft and hopefully this video has given you some insight into the P-3 or allowed you to reminisce about your time in the aircraft. I'd like to thank Eleanor Arrangers, Franz Bonn, Scott Sherrick, Don Staten, and the Southeastern Pennsylvania Cold War Historical Society. Their generous donation of their time and interviews I was able to conduct with them helped me put together this video. The Southeastern Pennsylvania Cold War Historical Society hosts monthly Zoom calls featuring a designer or operator of some weapon systems that were used during that long conflict. I'll leave links in the description below, as well as links to books you should check out to learn more about this amazing airplane. Thank you to my patrons and members of this channel. Your support helps me make videos like these possible. Now you know!